The Effenrad Snowboard Podcast is presented by Vans. Oh yeah, I wanted to be absolutely not attractive to snowboarders. Maybe we need an injection of that, because it'd be interesting. And I didn't sign the contract, I probably just had it in my bag for a couple of months. <laughs> and we're like, oh, that's just banging, let her run. We pushed each other to become better. Front three tailed it. Season 5 of the Effenrad Snowboard Podcast is sponsored by Wired Snowboards, The Boardroom Snowboard Shop, Crow's Nest Barbershops, and on optics and tribute board shop in nelson bc support also comes from grouse mountain mount seymour and cypress mountain vancouver's three local mountains i want to give some special thanks to my friends at volcom to kine intuition liners salmon arm mitts ride snowboard bindings caribou brewing air blaster stance socks shred soles bluebird hertel swix toco and beaver waxes Tantalus Labs, and Fast and Loose. Before I start the show this week, I need to tell you the audio is a mix of me and my sauna and Jamie Lynn recording himself on his phone from Baldface Lodge. It's not ideal, but I had such a great conversation with a true legend of snowboarding that I have to put it out there, and it's only a preview of what's to come. Jamie's living hobo style up in Nelson with his girlfriend, skateboarding, getting back to basics and doing all the things he loves including creating beautiful art music and poetry it's a great honor to have him back on the show and i can't wait to talk to him again here's my conversation with the one and only james michael Lynn. let's do a quick question javis my favorite listener one of my favorite listeners wants to know who's got the best method in your eyes Ooh, that's a tough question you know there's so many out there from like you know, Ben Ferguson, he's got a wicked one. Um, and in the half pipe, like I've seen some wicked ones out there. You know, I wouldn't want to take anything away from Sean White and saying he's got a pretty wicked method. So does Mark McMorris on that level. You know, it, it, you don't discriminate. I can't, I can't place one method higher than the other. Because it's just the right. act of doing it is the lies the beauty in itself. You know, you, you can't discriminate on a, a non-fully kicked out method. <laughs> we'll be sending no one to uh, to hell for that today. <laughs> we only raise the method up in high praise and rejoice. Very nice. Yeah, we have uh, Dustin Vargas says hello from Jackson Hole. That's that's a rad spot, huh? I want to give a big shout out to Jackson, man. I miss those guys. I hope they're doing well in light of all this stuff that's been happening. Um, if not sooner or later, we're going to get a chance to get back out there and to have some fun with them. But I love you guys. Miss you. Yeah, I talked to Willie McMillan, Bluebird Willie. He had coronavirus for sure. We got word of that up here in, in Canada. That was one of the first... Uh, the first cases of someone that I actually knew same that came down with it you know yeah I was scared for it man that's sketchy he was in tight quarters with people who for sure had it and then I guess the whole all of them did they all wound up getting it but the report from him was like you know it's gnarly but let's not go on corona talk corona talk's so boring you know i just want to send a send a big shout out to willie and say hey willie man miss you brother love you hope you're doing well can't wait to see it keep risky livers living 
Yeah, dude. Risky Livers is epic. I, I have that on my phone. I, I bought the album and it just, when it connects to my car, sometimes it just randomly plays. And it's always the right time to listen to Willie and Risky Livers. Super sick. All right. We got another question for you, Andrew Soda Wadden. Another favorite of the show. What's the story behind the no gloves thing? Devin would want to know that too, because I know Devin and the guys up here were so hyped on the no gloves thing. Like, it just was rad. Yeah. You know, it just came back to, like, skateboarding. You know, did you ever go skateboarding with gloves on? <laughs> you know? And it really just gave me the freedom to be able to be in touch with my board when I would do stuff. You know, like, there's, there's a connection that I had with what I was doing when I didn't have gloves on. And it just felt like I could grab that board that much more secure and solid and and do what i needed to do and a lot of it was comfort and freedom you know she springtime hits it's warm it's beautiful it's sunny you just feel stifled sometimes with a pair of gloves on granted there were times when i was forgetful you know and just straight up forgot them <laughs> and then yeah, cool and then what you know you just gotta roll with it but uh if you make your bed you know be willing to line it and uh, a lot of times I was lying in it. <laughs> I remember having bloody hands in the summer from no gloves every once in a while. Because your edge, you just catch catch a burr or something like that. And and then your hands are wet from the snow. <laughs> it just looked gnarly. If, the, if that didn't get you, it was the salt brine that they put in the snow uh, to set it yeah. up, man. That was like insult to injury. I don't know who came up with that big idea, but man... I just would get the gnarliest scrapes on my elbow, and then it just felt like someone took salt and just packed it in there. Oh, yeah, that was that's true, man. Kilgore Trout, which parts of Baker helped you evolve your game the most? And he he put in there can, the Canyon, Natural Half Pipe, or Chair One. But I bet he just meant, is there somewhere on Baker that you felt gave you like, you know, that you would go maybe train at or that gave you an edge over you know other people when you go to a session you know there was i mean the whole place is freaking amazing the whole place allows itself to be your personal skate park at all times you know throughout the winter but the canyon hidden wave hidden hidden into the canyon with a certain succession of jumps that we always looked forward to in the springtime that was like a snowboard park before snowboard parks were a thing the way that I the snow would come down, down into the canyon and, and just make yeah. these perfect pyramid hits. Uh, I couldn't wait till springtime to hit. I could remember following you down the canyon. Uh, you were riding by yourself, I think. And you rode so fast and blasted off those pyramid hits so big that, like, we just couldn't... I, it's 30 years later, I still remember it. Like, it, that was crazy that run was steep and so like we were just trying to hold on you know what i mean and and hit the little hits but you guys had your own total way of riding that mountain that was like inspiring like and and made it obvious why you guys were pro it just you know we had great role models you know we had carter turk jeff fulton craig kelly you know uh the 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 Oi, Jason Basserich, Jason Loeb, Worm, all those guys, Hollenbeck, they were like, man, 
very crucial in showing us the lines, you know, like allowing us to see the full potential of what that mountain had to offer and then doing things off of it that just were like, that kind of were inspiring for us to want to give it our best shot. Yeah, that's rad. That's super rad. I saw a photo of Fulton today. I don't know if I can send it to you. I should have... Sometimes you can... I don't know. I don't know how this thing works. People have figured that out by now. But um, Fulton just doing an ollie at the 86 uh, Worlds that Ken Ock put on. And you can see that Fulton style, man. Like, that's the thing. I, I picked out Fulton from... He's just riding down at Baker. I'm like... I that guy knows what the fuck he's doing just from just watching him turn you're like Jeff Fulton is one of the smoothest operators on a snowboard that's ever existed yeah he really he really I mean those guys would put in lines where we'd see and we would just go who the fuck was that you know <laughs> who, who went up there and did that line or there was a turn on top of chair one over the waterfall where it's just an overhanging ledge diving board with consequence off the edge and first chair I would always see a freaking track on this line and I would be like who the fuck was that and, and, and how did they push it so far out onto the edge to get this turn that was so glorious and it was something that, it was a dream line. But it seemed like that dream had always been realized by somebody before we had a chance to get up there and get to it. And then I find out that it's like, you know, Dano and Craig racing to get that turn. And that one turn is so beautiful. <laughs> I understand why it was such a, you know, such a contest between the two to be able to crack it first. Did you ride with those guys a bunch or were they just, you were just a young kid and you were on a different, on a different deal? When I was a Grom, you know, it wasn't something that we necessarily got together and joined forces on the hill. We were always the little, uh, the younger crew looking up to those guys and seeing them as if they were fucking Sasquatch, you know, like Sasquatch sighting. And, and like, uh, it wasn't until later on that, you know, we were able to connect on more of a, a, a level with snowboarding being our glue and um, enjoying what we each did together for a small window. And I'm really thankful for that opportunity because I learned a lot from him in those times, but really unfortunate that he was taken from us so early. I feel that we, have a, we had a lot more growth and evolution as humans on a snowboard. Yeah. Yeah, he really... Uh... He said he he blazed a path that was just like so inspiring. Like I can remember when he quit competitions, being the guy that was like, "No, I want to see more Craig competing." You know, like I love his style, his like professionalism, all that stuff. And I didn't get it at first. Like, what he's gonna just go do turns? Like, wouldn't you rather be in the air? Oh, maybe he's gonna go do big like cliffs, like. You know, Parada and Farmer. No, he's going to do, like, soul shredding? Like, it didn't even exist in my lexicon. It was like what someone would do if they were really old. And he wasn't old when he left. He was at his prime. So, yeah. The... I mean, look, look at us now. Look where I'm sitting. You know, I'm up here in Nelson, B.C. in Baldface Lodge. Something that was, like, really important. This area for Craig. And, and he kind of, like, he pioneered this opportunity and you know i have nothing but thanks 
Yeah. Because really yeah. without his like without his awakening of what the backcountry had to offer and then sharing it with us in the small way and opportunity that he did, it really it just gave you an option, man, to go out into nature and in the mountains and truly enjoy a pure passion that that we have a, we're blessed to be able to enjoy. He's still inspiring these kids, right? Like the Burton kids these days, like if I, I'm speaking out of school here, but like you want to go into the back country if you're at the top of your game, just because like it's not enough to just be like a robotic pipe jock kid. You're not snowboarding if that's the thing that you're doing. And, and I think in their hearts, these kids feel it. You know what I mean? I can't wait to see this generation evolve out of that contest category and start taking a lot of the, the the tricks and stuff they've been doing on the X Games and do tours, man. I can't wait to see it applied to a big mountain setting. And I think yeah. you're starting to see that with like McMorris, man. I saw a couple like saw a couple things of him like riding heli someplace and just blasting off these huge cornices. You know, Travis is a great example of that. Taking the highest level of contest riding and then applying it to a fucking wicked backcountry landscape in a backcountry setting you know i that makes me happy inside when i see that you know it really like it gives me hope for the future of where snowboarding is going because man it's something that means so much to me and i get so enjoyment out, so much enjoyment out of it that i really like to see that being put on the forefront of you know, a high level of snowboarding, not only on a contest, in a contest environment, but just more for yourself, you know, more to feel that, that need of doing it in a beautiful spot with beautiful people, with no one else around and nothing but powder and transition. All right. Another beautiful person I want to bring up, and this is a Corey Octoon question. Hey, Corey, love that guy. (laughs) What was it like when Noah threw your shovel in AK? I'm I'm paraphrasing. Oh man, okay. We get dropped off on this peak. So first descent peak up with hatchets filming for like project six or something. I can't remember exactly where it was coming from, but we got dropped off on this knife edge ridge with a, you know, behind us, it was just a rock scree field, probably a thousand feet, just death. And then to the left, was just these spines, wicked spines, and the and the cornice that we were sitting on top of. First of all, we get out of the helicopter. The guide gets back in and says he wants no part of it. Right out of the gates, I'm thinking, oh, what the shit? You know, this is not good. This is going to be a heavy one. And we get on the cornice, and 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 uh, Noah's poking around looking for an entrance, man. And he finds the smallest gap, and he starts shoveling shoveling the ledge out and he's like hey man can i borrow your shovel and he starts shoveling the ledge out and making this nice bench for him to start his run on and he was so focused and so like hyper you know focused on the task at hand that he just took my shovel and winged it behind his head like i was just ready there to catch it you know (laughs) but i was like 10 yards down the line and he brings his shovel and the freaking shovel just goes and i'm like oh man Fuck, there it goes. And then it's like, okay, get ready. Three, two, one, dropping. And then boom, he's gone. And then the fucking reality of like, I'm, I have to go next. You know, I have to follow him. But man, he, he was amazing. I really am very thankful for the chance that we had to spend in Tahoe, in Alaska. What an amazing dude. 
bringing skateboarding with them, inspiring snowboarders to be more skate-minded, skateboarding as the, you know, the, the driving force of what you're trying to translate on the snowboard. You know, we owe a lot to him on a lot of different levels, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that life happens whether you like it or not. So you gotta make the most out of every moment because you don't know when that moment's not gonna be there. And for uh, for me and Noah to have that moment up there on the ridge and uh, like, fuck the shovel, you know, the shovel is fucking history. But what we were able to uh, experience together was something that I'll never forget, man. We called yeah. it Blind Faith. We, we named that run Blind Faith just because it was like, we were looking at a Polaroid picture on the top, trying to get a fucking landmark. And we were just like, I don't know where the fuck I'm going, you know, like, okay, I hope for the best and prepare for the worst, you know, but we both, we both made it down in one piece. It's an amazing run, amazing day. Alaska's an incredible place. I can't wait to get back up there. Oh, dude, that's so sick. I was talking with you a bit yesterday on the phone, and one of the things that's just absolutely mind-blowing is your, your memory for these wonderful days because you've had to have had a thousand perfect days, you know? Um, I really loved the story of the wave pool in uh, in Norway. Can you tell that? I, I... The whole backstory of that, it goes back to like the Rin or the Strand Road Gap back in '94. That was the cover of Trans World. I know Best. we were we were flown over there by this cat named Tom Lochtefeld, and he was the inventor of that standing wave form. That there's one down in San Diego at Mission Beach. And I think there's a permanent one, which was uh, why we were invited over to, to Telemark, Norway, to be a part of this grand opening of this wave in this theme park that's in Terrier's hometown of Telemark. So Tom Lochtefeld flies like myself and, and you know, Rado Lom, Peter Line, Jeff Brushy, um, you know, and, uh, and Hawken was invited. And then there were skateboarders like uh, Tony Hawk, Chris Miller, um, Danny Way, and then surfers Brock Little and Brad Gerlach. So we all wake up in the morning, we get on the bus, and we go to this freaking theme park, and we're all lined up on the edge of it, and we're looking out this wave, dreaming on how sick it could be, and then we get the call out, man, fire up the pumps. And then he hits the button, and the pumps start, and the water comes rushing around the corner, and it comes right in front of us, and it catches a tear in the fucking pool lining and just rips the fucking pool lining to shit. The whole thing shits the bed right in front of us. There's no wave. Nothing's fucking happening, and we got nothing. Okay, we're dead in the water, literally and figuratively. So we got our snowboards, but we're six, hour, six hours out from any mountain, and the closest mountain is Strim. So, you know, we... We get we get in our cars and I get in Hawkins got a brand new Bjorn Borg edition like Nissan 3000 GT something wicked man and he's like hey if you want to drive like I'll let you drive all the way up there and I was like fucking give me the keys man I'd love to have you know a chance to drive such a wicked car so for six hours we're doing like 180k maybe 200k at times just fucking flying. He's watching out for the speed cameras. I'm watching the speed on the speedometer, and we're flying all the way up to Strand. Six hours, like we make it there in record time, probably maybe four and a half, five hours out of a six hour drive. But we get up there, and at the bottom of the hill, he's like, okay, man, you know, we hit the mountains. 
let, let me drive, you know, it's my car, I'm a mountain driver, a mountain kid, fucking, I'll get behind the wheel. So I jump, jump in the passenger seat, and he takes off, man, in the second corner, he comes around hot, just loses traction, boom, slides into the fucking bank, dents his front right quarter up, and I'm just going, man, you know, I, I felt for him, because a brand new car, and... You know, making the claim that he's a mountain driver and stuff. It must have just been a fucking shitter. But we all had a good laugh about it. And then we get up to Strin, and Strin's just, it's its early spring. It's still hard, a little soft in places, and it's just foggy and cloudy. Like, we couldn't see a fucking a thing. And uh, and we thought, ah, oh, fuck it. We're going to take Brock Little and, and these two surfers up and just go snowboarding with these cats, you know? Like, we didn't expect to jump... There was no jumps on the mountain. You know, there was maybe a mogul to ollie off if we were lucky into like a gray fucking blanket of unknown. It was like the, the worst condition actually on the hill. So we took a couple like token runs with these surf cats and, and they were stoked and we were having fun. And then we we're like, well, let's just fucking make a, cur- a short, shortcut to the car. You know, we'll just go off this backside and we'll, we'll hit the car that way. And we get right up above where the car at, and we stop, and we're fucking looking, and it's just this wicked transition to a perfect road gap with another wicked transition. But it's big, you know, and it's deep. And we're thinking, like, wow, man, this is our chance to actually have a jump, you know? But it's like going from zero to 120, <laughs> going from alling off a mogul to, like, this massive road gap. So, I mean, we were all kind of like you know freaking internally at least i was like oh fuck what am i gonna do you know if i have to go what am i gonna do and and hawking and i were looking at each other and he was like you know you want to rochambeau to see who drops in first and i was like fuck hey you know let's do it and i ended up losing so i had to fucking go so i'm thinking man what am i gonna do i can't just go straight air off this thing that would be kind of like you know the I don't know, with this crew of riders, a straight air just didn't seem like it was applicable. I had to do something that was not only going to, like, stoke them out, but also pick something that I could go over this massive road gap and do it blindly. So I picked a (laughs) cab five to be able to go off switch, and then I would be blind to the whole thing until the very last second when I'd come around, last 180, and boom, set it down on the landing and the whole thing would be not, not even registered in my memory banks because I would be so focused just on like, oh, just keeping my body in, in line. And I did that. And then I think it really, it really allowed everyone to approach it more comfortably because they had seen like, okay, it's, it's not only is it doable, he just did a freaking cap five over it, you know? And, and then you saw this session that like Rado, Peter, Hawkin, man, everyone just threw down some some of the sickest shit, just pulled out of their back pocket on a jump that wasn't even supposed to be a jump. I don't even think awesome. I don't even think we patted it down. It was just <laughs> like the from the snowblower pushing snow up over to the edge, it was just like perfect trannies on either wow. side. It couldn't have been a better scenario to attempt this. And man, it really like it just like it, it validated our whole trip up there. John Foster was there to capture the image. Like great crew, great Amazing. time. Something I'll never forget, you know. But it was it was like the session that wasn't never meant to be. Supposedly, Hawkins said this yesterday. 
there's footage of that whole session somewhere. He's seen it. So we got to get our hands on that. I'll put that out sometime. That'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Unreal, dude. Unreal. Wow. I'm, I'm, floor, I'm just floored. That's like, I, I love the idea of dropping in backwards to not, because you have to focus so much harder on what you're doing as opposed to focus on what could be happening. If you straight air it, you're going to be thinking the whole way like about your speed, how fast am I going? Plus, you're spinning so you have to go faster. That's that's the crazy part to me is that like you know you're going to dump a shit ton of speed. You kind of almost want to just like check and see if it's if if it's even doable. With a road gap like that, there was like it was all or nothing, you know. Yeah. There you couldn't just like let me do a speed check and see how if I can you know, make the knuckle. It was yeah. like do or die. So whatever level I was at in snowboarding at the time, for some reason in my head, I thought it would be safer to go switch at it and cab five. I don't know. I can't justify or find reason for it now, but at the time it just seemed like a better idea. The second one was the front three that John ended up getting the shot for the cover off of. I think it was my second attempt off of that jump. So that, that cover shot is a, is a front three off that, exact jump you're talking about i got i had um oh i didn't write his name down what was the, what was it like this is a listener asked what was it like the first time you hit the baker road gap that's was that after or before the string one i think uh it might have been after i think i jumped the baker i mean around the same time not i, yeah. I think string was 94 but baker 95 96 really shortly there afterwards and that Baker Road gap being such an iconic like jump that man, Fulton shots of Fulton off of it, shots of Farmer, shirtless, shirtless. like man that like hey if you were nervous about it before and you you seen that photo you're like all right fuck it you know fucking Sean just did it without a fucking t-shirt man I'm going, but that it's not so much the gap as it is the run-in on that. And I just heard a funny story about Kearns, man. Kearns said he sat up there and he fucking pounded beers until he got the liquid courage enough to jump that fucking road gap. And that's Ooh. what the, and 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 what a, what a wicked like. That's that's the level of how gnarly that thing is, you know. But hey, big shout out to Kearns. My wife just was like brought a, a piece of paper said stop drinking so much. It's distracting. I'm like oh okay yeah no problem baby thanks honey. <laughs> But that that's pretty timely because for Kearns, oh my God, what a what a generous human being with his like beautiful human man. Yeah, miss yeah. Him, miss him dearly, and I'm looking forward to reconnect with him here shortly. You know, yeah. ever, ever since the border shut down, I kind of stayed put up in Canada and just like uh, hunkered down on the side of uh, Kootenay Lake and uh, exercising the right to live righteously in a hobo fashion. And it seems like all it. roads are led up to this moment right now. And this is the time for me to apply all those little fucking bike camping trip, family camp trip, living trips. And now it's applied to uh, applied to what we have going in this current situation. And it, it seems almost surreal how beautiful it is up here and how... Uh, the compassion for what's happening someplace else in the world is of the utmost. But 
you know, but how lucky and fortunate we are to be in such a beautiful spot riding this one out. It doesn't seem like, you know, there's there's uh, the hospital in Nelson is a ghost town. Things are respecting, or people are respecting people's space and, and, and keeping, you know, all the fundamentals of, of cleanliness and hygiene in order. But it just doesn't seem like it's really real, man. It seems like we're floating around in this dream up here and and, and uh, definitely blessed on the opportunity to be out in nature and let nature like kind of allow us the freedom to get out into the snow and find recreation and go snowboarding. In a oh time man, you went today. You went today. What was that like? It was wicked, man. We got a couple hot pow turns off of, uh, you know, right outside of the lodge. Did a quick couple sled laps, you know, and uh, I had a chance to exercise my uh, full plumage on my cape. You know, uh, I've had a lot of downtime in this whole scenario, so uh, I've been trying to uh, construct denim capes because I've always secretly wanted to rock a denim cape. Maybe it was Turbo Negro, maybe it was Hank Von Helveta that really was inspiring, but you know what? Now's the time to live out your dreams. And today, I think I just did. <laughs> I love it, Jamie. You've got uh you've got quite the camp set up down on the lake. You know what I'm seeing? A lot of skateboarders everywhere again. Every parking lot's got skateboarders in it, all the spots are filled with kids skating without being harassed. It's kind of cool, and it's the same with the camping, right? You can go and you can camp somewhere fucking awesome and have that epic spot. You know, uh, I heard something tragic the other day, and it was down in San Clemente where they took sand and filled in the bowl of the skate park so no one could go and freaking skate it, man. Ugh. How sacrilegious is that? I mean, give the kids an outlet to, like, I don't see kids holding hands and skateboarding, you know? No. Ever. They're always social distancing. And they're in their own head, in their own world, skating for themselves, by themselves. They could be in a full park, but man, you always have that space, that distance. You're not like, you're, I couldn't think of a more responsible thing to be doing during this whole scenario than getting out and, and utilizing a wicked skate park. Thankfully, yeah. thankfully the, the skate park up in Nelson is, is still open for business and it's one of the things that has been keeping me sane through this insane time. So you grew up on Vashon Island. I didn't know that until you told me. Vashon Island is uh, where K2 was made. I went out there when the K2 factory was switching over to China. So they still had some people there and they they were just trying to figure out what was going to be the next you know phase of K2. But you're 20 minutes from Seattle, but you feel like you're in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Yep. It's an island that's five miles long and three miles wide. And it's, you know, a couple thousand people for population. And it feels like if when I was a kid, if I had a BMX bike, I, I felt like a king, man. I could go anywhere. I could do anything. And, you know, it was the early days before Vashon that really kind of laid the groundwork to where I feel so comfortable camping now. My parents were, you know... I came from a very hippie rich environment with my parents. They're the best people in the world. 
but they were kind of just trying to figure themselves out and get a business going as a, we were trying to grow sprouts and start a sprout farm. But our attempt to make it out of Vancouver, Washington battleground and make it up into the Seattle area and find a place to settle down and, and start, you know, a foundation for this new business. We did a lot of camping, you know, we, we stayed at some friends' houses up in Bellingham. We camped out in Linwood for a couple of months, and then we found ourselves in uh, in Saltwater State Park, kind of just south of SeaTac Airport, in between Seattle and Tacoma. And I think that's why I feel so comfortable now, hunkered down, camping out in a hobo setting, is because that's all I remember as a child. Is like every every shit was outside or in a honey bucket. Every Every meal was on a campfire, you know. We washed our dishes in the creek. We slept in a tent, you know. And, and that, to me, is like there's a comfort in that. And then to now have the opportunity to, like, find a little spot that we're comfortable with, set up camp, and just live in a simple outdoors environment, man, I really, truly feel blessed at the opportunity to be up in this area to be able to do that because I don't think it would be the same if I was anyplace else. Yeah, do you still have a house down in Auburn? Yep, I still got twenty. I got twenty acres in a in, a, in a compound, and uh, I have a, a great group of guys that have been helping me um, keep an eye on it while I've been gone. And I want to give a shout out and a big thanks to those guys, man. Can't can't wait yeah. to get back down and hit the road with you. I'm pretty sure we just got a shout out from Travis Rice. So, hey, Travis. How you doing, brother? <laughs> Good to see you, man. You've been on some trips with Travis. You know, I've done a couple, but I've been really lucky to be up at Baldface when he's been doing the ultra natural and supernatural contests. You oh, know, yeah. and I, I even did the natural selection with him as I was playing in a band. He invited us out there to be the musical presentation after the uh, qualifying on the bull riding, and that was like, and just getting a chance to like, I've, I've done some riding out in Jackson, but just more hanging out with him as a human man great dude the highest level of what we do and does it with a smile and such a great attitude man I, he's a he's a righteous cat speaking of a couple of righteous cats i've got a, a couple of a great question from keith 1971 and he's he's asking for your best aaron vincent story and i'd like to even also mention david vincent because i used to get those two mixed up and I think both of those guys are, are fucking insanely rad. I want to get both of them on the show, obviously, but you've probably got stories with both those dudes, right? Like David Vincent. I mean, that David Vincent, uh, he just it takes me back to the, the first time I ever went to Europe where I had Doug Palladini, bless his heart, come to me and say, hey, man, you're a, you're a kid from Auburn, Washington. You haven't left the United States if you wanted to go anywhere in the world, where would you go? And I was like, man, I've never been to Europe before. And he's like, all right. You know, he's quietly said, okay. And then about a month later, he calls me up and goes, I got a plane ticket for you and Jason Basterich. We're going to France and Switzerland. And I was just like, what the, you know, are you kidding me? But he allowed me to go over and see that the world is bigger than just the horizon that you can see from your front door. You know, that, that how easy it was to get a ticket, go over there, get a train ticket, ride the train, and and find yourself in just a freaking foreign place 
with wicked snowboarding. And and one of our first connections over there with, was with Vianney Tissou and uh, David Vincent. And we ended up staying in David Vincent. He had a wicked house, man. It was by Val or Teen area. I can't remember exactly, but it was an old brothel. And he had just got this place, and there was probably 13 rooms that had numbers on the door and shit, and the place was just stripped down to its bare essentials. I don't even think it had furniture in there. There was no beds in any of the rooms, but he just said, hey, make yourself at home. It's going to be colder and shit, but there's 13 rooms to choose from. Pick one. I don't care what, you know, which ones, you, you know, just make yourself at home. And that extension and that, you know giving a piece of comfort to someone that had was so far away from home and and making me feel like a brother and like there was something that he brought to that trip that I'll never forget man just him as a wicked human and a wicked individual you guys rode similarly as well like it was all style you guys together riding would have been such an epic time man it, it was a uh... You know, times I'll never forget. So really, really important for like building the foundation of just like having fun first and foremost, you know, not taking shit too seriously and really just focusing on putting smiles on our faces. That's sick. And then how about AV? Cause that's a completely different dude and a completely different part of the world. When was your first time down to Tahoe? Would you have ridden with Aaron pretty early on? Yeah, mad respect to Aaron because he was always a kick-ass skateboarder too, you know, and, and and just the times that we were hunkered down in Tahoe through a gnarly storm where all we had was to go and, like, session the rail behind Incline High School, you know, like, or out front of, like, somebody's house you know i can't remember if it was hatchets or, or whose house it was exactly but we just built this tranny up to this pole and just like the simple things man that that we now take for granted as just kind of fucking around but back then it was like you got nothing better to do you know so why not make the best out of what you got and to have those times with him and and just riding up in alaska too with him aaron's a fucking incredible snowboarder that has you know, really the unique ability to make you feel comfortable when shit's fucking gnarly. You know, he can lighten it up and make you giggle before you shit your pants dropping into some hairball line. You know, like that's that's a that's a rare quality, and Aaron Vincent has got it in spades, man. I miss oh, it. That's so sick. All right, here's one more from Sean Grunhagen. He's got a quote from you at the border. This is not even a question. This is just a quote of you at the border, and it definitely makes me think he's telling the truth. You came back in from the border, and you said, if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bullshit. <laughs> you know, crossing the border has always been touchy and, and such a, a, a sensitive like subject, but I just, there, there came times when I was like, man, you just, you got to tell them what they want to hear. You can't fucking lie, you can't, but you can embellish, you know, you can make it whatever you want, really, but I tried to make it whatever was going to make it easiest for me to get back up and across, because I yeah. knew that the the gloriousness of what this place held, 
and it was something worth fighting for. <laughs> you consider yourself half Canadian, from what I hear. Yeah, from the waist down. Waist. <laughs> no, I, I heard that from somebody, and I had to re, I had to like rehash that quote because that was just too good to let go of, you know. But it's a beautiful spot with beautiful people, man, and and, it, and it's amazing the difference on just people's like take on the life and and you know and we're so polluted down in the lower 48 with all the government bullshit that's happening you know i don't want to really get into that stuff but it's really like i see a difference and i feel a difference up here and it's refreshing yeah tony welch sent me a video of our prime minister that they auto-tuned and made him sing a song about speaking moistly and i thought that's dope, man. Yeah, we got a good. Even setup he up here. knew it as soon as the fucking words left his lips, man. He knew, like, <laughs> oh shit, what did I just say, man? I'm never going to be able to live this one down. And if that's the only thing he has to worry about, man, I think he's doing pretty freaking good. Yeah. You know, like, like compared to what we got to deal with down south, uh, you know, at least he comes out of his front door and addresses his neighbor, whoever's listening. You know, that's how it makes you feel. You know, and that's, uh, I don't get that any place else. Should we, should we do a Sabbath break right now? Yeah, yeah, let's do a Sabbath break. <laughs> What's your favorite Sabbath song, Eric? Jeez, just off the top of my head, The Wizard, from that particular, you know, it's so fun. It's like a fun song. Yeah, you know, Symptom of the Universe was always a, a favorite, and... But uh, since we're up in the mountains, Snowblind would be applicable. Oof, yes. You know, and, uh, and just the title track, Black Sabbath, you know. Who is this that stands before me, figure in black that points at me? I turn around and start to run, but find out I'm the chosen one. I mean, really. Thank you, Ozzy. Oh, man. That oh, came man from Ozzy316. I was talking with Kearns yesterday about, you know, just generally speaking, life, obviously. I was having a conversation with Kearns. There's no way to stop it from happening. But I realized in that conversation that for some of you guys, you got to a certain level of fame uh, that could put you at risk of, you know, feeling shitty at the end of a career. You know what I mean? And I and I've always, you can ask my kids. They love. Well, maybe they don't love it, but they've heard it a million times. I ask, "What the hell is Iron Man about?" And I just realized that talking to Kearns is that it's a fallen hero story, and it's a story of somebody who saved the whole of humanity, and now there's nothing left really for him to do. He's kind of sitting there, and nobody's like giving him the accolades they've forgotten long forgotten you know maybe generations have gone by and kids are like what the fuck is with the big robot dude he's always just sitting there he doesn't say anything so uh, in your own life have you experienced moments where you meet people and you wish they knew you were fucking jamie lynn you know what i mean you know to be honest like i really always longed for anonymity to be anonymous just to be a regular jerk off that fucking went about his business and did his stuff just because he loved to do it you know and 
And uh, I tried not to place myself on any anything higher than the next person next to me, you know, because we all were human. We all struggled with the same shit, you know, and, and, and how could I be better than you? How could I be better than him? You know, just because my ability, I push myself to become as good as I can on that snowboard, I never wanted to take 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 anything away from anybody else's experience because I knew how important it was for them to experience that, you know, and how much it meant to me. And for me to rob somebody for the opportunity just because I felt better than them, that'd be a shitty thing to do. So I really tried to just come at it from, you know, like, I always thought, fuck, I've never had a fucking day job. You know, other than growing alfalfa sprouts, I've never went and worked a nine-to-five job. And there were times when I was just like, fuck it, man. I want to go get a, a job at a grocery store packing fucking shelves just to just to experience what it was like to be a regular civilian. You yeah. Know? But then I've come to terms that maybe those who snowboard aren't regular civilians that were actually mercenaries that work in and around the normal laws of mankind. <laughs> but I'm still trying to hash that out. Has it ever been a challenge for you to um, live up to that expectation? You know what I mean? Like you're having a shit day, you don't really feel like going riding and some kid like me, like what we did this year, I was like, Jamie, you want to come for a lap, dude? And the guys that came with us, Phil, shout out to Phil and Dave and Brad, like... The whole way, we were looking at each other going, that's fucking Jamie Lynn, dude. Like, that is insane. This is the most insane lap of the year. This is great. So, But do you ever have it where you're like, fuck, man, there's a lot of pressure for me to be Jamie Lynn? Mm. You know, there were times in the past where I might have put myself in scenarios that I knew I wasn't physically capable with, like, a bum knee or something. Something was mm. messed up. But I would, I would be, like, obligated to go to a contest in Japan or, you know, I think I did a trip with Travis like that where I, I went on this trip, man, and I know he was kind of fishing to see, like, you know, it, it, how is he riding? I think we just missed. It's technical difficulties. Lost connection. Go live with Baldus Beautiful. Thank you to Jeff Pensiero. Take this moment to thank all the sponsors of the show again. Vans, hey, I'm back. It, I think I had a one-hour time limit. Maybe you had a one-hour time limit. Who knows? I think that's what it is. Uh, the time limit was hit. And, uh, you know what? Ugh. Look at that. I love that, Perillo. That's a, that's a great collection of boards there. So I'm just going to run through. Actually, let's just talk about Vans. Because is, is it kind of just a, a, like luck? that you got on vans at the time were you talking with other boot companies did you want to be on airwalk like vans was brand new when you joined up you know i was i was for a hot minute i was riding for airwalk red and then uh somehow i got connected with lisa hudson i remember lisa she was the best she was so nice she is such a beautiful human man and i mm -hmm. a big shout out to lisa shout out. love you miss you can't wait to see you but she somehow was hooked up with Vans and, and 
and brought me her and this uh, another woman named Cheryl. She brought me to Vans one day to have a sit-down meeting with them, and then I sat down with like you know, Jared Bevins was one of those cats. You know, is still a part of Vans right now, and and uh, and started a relationship with them in '96. You know, right. and and out of all the years and all the evolution and, and where we've gone to now, I could truly say that man vans is one of the most wicked companies that i've ever had the chance to be a part of they're so you know they're they've gotten so big on that scale but they've done so much to retain and support their core not only in their shops with the lines that they produce and allow only the core shops to have but just with their team riders you know and 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 knowing that the importance of legacy and still supporting those riders that have been with them for 20, 30 years, you know, it's the cabs, the Lance mountain, Christian Osoy, like Tony Alba, you know, all those are just legends, but because of vans, they are still able at however, whatever they are in age to be able, be able to go out and to continue to do something that means so much to them and so much, love and passion for something that is still being supported by a company like vans it speaks volumes to their integrity and to their priority and they've been did, right on point all these years did you design that first jamie lynn boot that that still to this day my favorite boot that i owned just like the way it looked the the way it like compared to everything else in the market at that time it was clean lines not really crazy it was just fucking beautiful. I, I repeated on that boot. You know, they they really gave me the opportunity to have a blank canvas with that. Rad. You know, and, and pick the materials, did the design of it. It was really integral in the whole part of the development of that boot. And it was something that to have it be whole grain leather was important. Um, and just to have kind of like uh, the design styling that it had was really, you know, it, it came from my head, but the way that they translated that into an actual boot, it was a true collaboration. Rad. And you've redesigned like a, a new boot, right? Like, so they just released a boot for you mid-season this year or... Was it was it available all year? I can't remember. I think it was uh it was kind of a mid late season release, but it was such limited numbers that it really, you know, it, it was almost kind of uh you know, it, it it made it to where there was a lot of people asking me where they could get it and if it was still available and 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 it hurt my heart to tell him that, you know, sorry, only 500 pairs were made. And if he didn't get it now, hopefully there'd be a chance in the future that we'd re-release something similar. But I always had an issue with like limited release stuff if he didn't back it up the next year with something to, to actually provide for the people that, you know, didn't get it the first time around. That really want it, yeah. Create a demand and you're testing the market now if it worked. You want them to step it up, right? You know, if we sold out of that limited run and, and there was still demand for it, like, why, why not make more yeah. and, and give the people yeah. what they yeah. want? You know, it was a success. And 
but I'm just truly thankful just for the opportunity just yep. for like I don't I don't expect anything out of it other than what they've already truly given me because it's been so much up to this point man I'm nothing but thankful that's dope yeah Cersei talked on her episode about those boot times being like that's what really that's what bought her house and I think at that time I don't know if she said it on the show or not, but she, you guys were dating and she really pushed for you to get that boot. Cause it, you know, for, for you, you might've been busy doing other things or just thought like, ah, it's not that important or whatever. And she stayed on your ass and made sure that you did that. Do you think that kind of led to her being the agent? Like you were her first client? Well, you know, she was always really, driven and focused on making the most out of every business opportunity you know and she she came at it with a certain type of perspective that just was on it you know where i was just kind of aloof and like oh whatever this is great fuck it you know like if i got it cool if i don't then fuck it you know i'll find it somewhere down the road but she was really like hey man let's get a resume together for you. She helped put together my first resume. She helped, you know, uh, get those resumes out to the right people and and then see the the fruit of that nurturing with, you know, what had what it developed into. But I've never had a team manager before in my life or, a, or someone that helped me out in that respect other than Cersei Wallace. And Cersei, if you're out there, can't thank you enough, lady. <laughs> that's so rad. Do you think that that's where she got that that drive to be an agent? She like really enjoyed, you know. Maybe it was me uh, not taking advantage of it and seeing all that wasted potential, and then <laughs> yeah, going, "Fuck yeah, this yeah. guy!" You know, I'm gonna go and fucking do it right over here with somebody else. You know, that that's oh, a, right. Sure, I, sure. I can totally see that happening, but. You know, she's really good at it, even yeah, even when we were kids. I'm imagining her just having so much success with you because you're an easy sell, right? Like, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tone down the fandom here, man. I am a huge fan of yours, and you know this. It's awesome. Let's uh, let's talk about um, your strategy for life. Like, a lot of guys would would have signed those contracts not a lot of guys most people that i've talked to kind of look at the early days of snowboarding and and then into the mid 90s to late 90s and the money that was being given to them and and most of them think shit had i known it would have just been a couple of years i would have made some investments they don't know what investments farmer is like man i should have you know i could have had a house or whatever and I feel like most people that cared as much as, about snowboarding as you, farmer, guys like that, spent a good amount of your money on going snowboarding, right? Like it was like a job and and it's expensive to live away from home. To be to be honest, man, I, I, I made and lost a million dollars before I was 30 years old. And it was right. fucking off and partying and doing stupid kid shit, you know, and, and now... Uh, I've I've learned the philosophy of like I'd rather 
I'd rather not get paid out in one big lump sum for one day out on the hill. I'd rather get a little bit that lasts a long period of time and still continue to do what I love with just a, a simple means. You know, I'm, I I was able to put enough away that I bought some property that's paid off and I have a shop on it. And that's really the only thing. Like I made separate investments and all that stuff thinking that I was doing something for the future and my nest egg and stuff. And then the stock market took a shit and wiped my portfolio to absolute zero. And then all that money that I thought was going to be there, it just, uh, I lost faith in that, you know, and I lost faith in wealth. And and then it, I opened my eyes to like, I seen people living in a manner that they didn't have anything financially but they were the richest human beings that I came across just for their openness to experience life for what is true. And I think the more I focused on that and broke it down to like, it'd be nice to have a nice car, but I don't need it. You know, fuck, I, I, I spend all my money to get a bike to hit the road in the summer on. And that's where I get my enjoyment. But it's the bike didn't cost a fucking hundred thousand dollars. You know, it may it might be under five thousand, but whenever you, whatever you can afford, you make do with what you got, and that's what I've kind of learned to do is just be happy with what I have, and not like someone told me like you you, you have regrets and that's that's living in the past and you're anxious and you're living in the future and I really tried to be just present you know, in my own shoes and being happy with what I have control over within my peripheral. Nothing's pulling me out of here and nothing's dragging me back either. You know, I'm just trying to be right here right now. That's really, really good. Yeah. How was fishing yesterday? (laughs) You know, it was fucking wicked, but I'll tell you, I I think I might've told you the story. The second I get out of the lake, man, I'm in a canoe and I'm fishing hard on the spot and I'm thinking, man, there's just no fish in this fucking lake. And then a minute after I get out and I pull the canoe up on the beach, a fucking eagle swoops down right where I was fishing and pulls a wicked beauty lake trout out and then sits on the piling and just as if telling me, you're an idiot, eats his dinner right in front of my camp. And I'm thinking, man, I'm just not doing it right. That's the living in the moment thing though, right? Those things, noticing those things, like that experience is like, you know it's the best i mean that's why i love snowboarding is that it takes you out of that thinking about what you gotta do and what you have done you 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 can't be thinking about what you're having for dinner if the consequences of what you're doing is like breaking your arm or getting hurt or even just like you're focusing on it because it's fun not because it's work or anything like that that's I I feel blessed to have grown up in a place where you could work a nine to five and then you could still go up the mountains after work. And you're thinking about all those people who went home and they kicked their feet up and cracked a beer and watched TV. And you're like, there's, I'm looking at this beautiful city. I'm looking down from the lift. You, you, that's the best thing to do at Mount Seymour. When people go up there at night and you go up that mystery chair and you go, oh yeah, you remember, hey, turn around, take a look. It, it it's it's a mind blower every it's time. A, it's a unique experience, man. That only that that ski area with you guys enjoying it get a chance to you know uh, 
experience that, man. There's no real place like it in the world. To be so close to a city, but then have such a wicked little snowboard area, you know, it's a cool spot. Yeah, yeah. I've been breaking it down with a few people just like, because Seymour is one of those things that if you don't, if you don't understand, you don't understand. Seymour is small, but if that ski area was on some huge mountain like Whistler, it would be the busiest part of the mountain because it's so rad. The transitions everywhere are so good. But like if you went there with a like, you know, magazine in your hand that says, you know, top top 10 resorts in Canada, you go to Mount Seymour, you're like, what the fuck is this? There was Banff, there was Whistler. What? This is tiny and there's no fall line and what do you do here? How's, how's this place so great? But like, just look around. Look at the people that got the big smiles on their faces and follow them down a run and you'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. It's like the best run of any mountain anywhere. It's rad. I always thought it was cool that on a clear night with maybe a little cloud cover above Grouse or Seymour that from Bellingham, Washington, you could see the lights reflecting on the clouds from oh, night yeah. skiing. That's dope. So it always kind of brought me up there, even though I was back in the States. Yeah, yeah. What's your What's your home resort right now? Um, I try to winter up at Mount Baker. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's there's no place like it in the world. And the people that are up there are incredible. We've been working on, uh, we've been working on the Colpad Skate Park in the summer, trying Sick. to develop a, a righteous place to skate when snowboarding is not an option. And I can't tell you how proud I am to see that come to fruition with help from guys like Ryan Davis and, and just, you know, Little B. Little B, let's talk about Little B. He's, I met him last year or two years ago. The best, right? What a, what a dude. Yeah, he's really been coming back into town and, and trying to build energy into that skate park, utilizing what he's been doing for the last 10, 15 years with Grindline, and now applying that to a, a local spot that he's had so much history and so much like, you know, he, he's part of, he's a, he's a thread that makes that fabric what it is. You know, he's built into that community, whether he likes it or not. And to see him come back around and be a part of it, you know, it. I'm thankful that he made the choice to come back up the last couple of years because it's good seeing him around. Yeah, yeah. He's a shy person. I want to have him on the show, but I don't want to make him uncomfortable. You were a shy person when you were a kid, from what I hear. From Kearns, kind of like you were just a quiet guy. You're pretty, pretty talkative these days. Is that something that you uh, that you learned? I guess, like, uh, I just... You know, I grew up like with my grandpa telling like hey, kids are supposed to be seen, not heard and don't speak until you're spoken to and kind of stuff like that to where I was always kind of, I always wanted to let my actions speak for themselves, man. I didn't want to put anything out there verbally until I could back it up physically, you know, and, and then I think playing in a band where you're, I was thrust into this position to be a front man and, and to be able to try to sing for Candy Coated with those awesome dudes. And I, you know, a big shout out to all those guys that I was involved in that whole experience with, um, especially Jack and Dino, amazing human. Um, 
but it just gave me this kind of confidence of being out there in front of people. And if you have that opportunity and you don't have something to say, well, then step back and go back to your shadow, you know. But I guess through snowboarding and the opportunity of, to be put, thrust out there, um, it gave me a comfort. And, That's and, right. and as I get older, fuck, I just don't give a shit anymore, to be honest, you know. My hang-ups, <laughs> I don't have many when it comes to that stuff anymore. It's like this is who I am, the way I am, and if you don't like it, well, then fucking suck it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 100 miles and running and not tripping. That's dope, dude. That's so dope. Yeah, you're making me think about Wes' make piece because that was one of the things that he talked about when I was with him at the bank slalom this year was his nerves on stage. He was like, dude, ser- I think he, think he talked about, you know, just before a show, you know, throwing up from nerves. And uh, I love that guy. He, just such a real dude right so stoked when i have the chance to hang out with him because it's always like you know he goes out and hides out on the farm all summer and then i see him probably december 1st he comes back around baker and then we'll start playing guitar around the 15th of december maybe do a show for new year's somewhere in a house in glacier and then month down the line we might get another show someplace someplace else and and uh, he'll send me some video text messages of his set. That's what he did this year when we had a show out in Denver. We hadn't had a chance to practice at all, so he just sent me these video text messages of him jamming. And I just would put them on Bluetooth and jam with them, and that was our you know virtual practice session. But then when we got you know when we got to the venue, and it's like, fuck, we've never really done a sound check before. You know, I don't even <laughs> think he knows how to set up like a true stage sound and and i sure in the hell don't you know so we're trying to like two wrongs don't make a right but we're trying to get it to where we can both hear each other and and when that doesn't happen and it's not set up correctly that's where the confidence in yourself and your own ability starts getting fucking chipped away is because you know you need to hear that and you need to have that stage sound set up and i like to be that person that he can look to on the side of the stage and fucking I could just make a fucking funny face or something and like calm him down because if he gets caught in his own head then it's just it it you know could could take off and and he starts like we don't have a drummer so his metronome is our timepiece you know his pick tempo is our metronome yeah. so when he's nervous or anxious or excited he'll just start fucking gassing it you know, and his pick tempo goes fucking nuts. And I'm sitting there behind him just, like, running to keep up and, you know, like, always right one step behind him. But it's it's something that, you know, or if we go out of tune, you know, something funky will happen, and it's usually like, oh, shit, here it goes, you know, come back. But he's easy to reel back in. And I do the same thing. I'm, I'm not saying I'm fucking Mr. Rock Solid up on stage because <laughs> I might look like it, but internally I'm shitting my pants, you know, always. But a lot of times our shows that we play, I look out in the crowd and it's all of our friends and family that fucking love us. And, like, we could go up there and just shit ourselves and they would still, like, it would be an endearing quality, you know. But I, I really, I, I wish, you know... 
to get out of one's head and to look out into the crowd and see those friends and find that acceptance and love and like like just they they're there with us for us so you can't do anything wrong you know and if the song sucked well then fuck that song anyway the thing was a piece of shit you know <laughs> throw it in the fucking garbage and let's do another one we got 10 more you play a lot of music up at the lo the lodge when you're up there, hey? You're the house cat of the lodge. I, I was talking with Kevin Sansalone yesterday. I kind of already knew this, but Kevin works up there, and he, he says to see the looks on snowboarders' faces when they pop in the lodge, and there you sit there playing guitar or smoking a joint. They get to smoke a joint with you. They're just like, it's, it's just priceless. Jeff Pensiero is an amazing dude who's allowed us He's allowed me to really fall in love with snowboarding again by by inviting me up to this incredibly beautiful spot that it's not easy to get to, and and to have the chance to snowboard on a on a basis that's just good powder, good terrain, great guides, great staff, really make you feel like it's with snowboarding for snowboarding you know he's a snowboarder he's not a skier every other every other operation that i've ever been to had always been focused on their skiers their skier guides and you were made to feel like a second class citizen always you know and when i came up here it was just like welcome home you know welcome we've been waiting and now please enjoy what we have to offer because it's going to fill you with so much freaking stoke and so much fire that you you just you fill your pockets with it you know and then you take that away from you and you can get as much powder in one fucking four-day trip up here as you can get all year at your local resort so when people say man it costs so much to get up there well the what you get out of it nine times out of ten will be so much more than what you ever expected and anticipated, you know, and, and it's a, it's an incredible experience and how fortunate and thankful, how much gratitude I have for Jeff and his family for allowing me to come up and enjoy that with him. Yeah. And we're stoked that he let you, uh, let you up there today to record this up there. It's just so beautiful. When we were talking before we started and you're talking about going, you know, for some rips today on the sleds. Like, the older I get and the more I break it down, I never really thought about it before, but there is a there is such a thing as a perfect resort day. I had one with Dave Hatchett this year. So much fun. There's a perfect sled day. I had one this year with my good friends, the Samo brothers and Jordy, and oh my God, just, it's, it's a whole other level. You know, and there's perfect cat days and there's perfect heli days and... I mean, snowboarding is just so much fucking fun. The It's just insane that we're so lucky that we just picked this random thing, you know? Like, I don't know how you got into it, but I got into it through a desire to surf, and there's no surfing anywhere. So that led to, like, skateboarding, and then winter came, and then it's freezing, there's nowhere to, to skate. And snowboarding was like this all of a sudden you could blast and you were better right off the bat. And, uh, I, I, at least a few times a year, I am like, my life is so insanely rich because of snowboarding. It, I, I, 
What do other people love like this? I don't know how I got here. I don't know, you know, I know what's happened to amount to this, but if you would have asked me when I was a grom, like, fuck, would you ever think that you could take this and go where you, where I went with it? You know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even register on my radar. But I just think it was a lot, a lot to do with Craig, man. Craig really going out to Island Lake and like the small stuff that was come trickling back from up here down to the states that we were that we were picking up on. It's like I saw a couple him and you know Gallup and just a couple of photos of him riding powder and this is beautiful landscape in this foreign land of just wicked geological formations and a massive amount of snow that fell on it you know creating this incredible riding environment that was it was not out of touch because i just witnessed someone who i looked up to go and and then bring that gift back to us you know and, and so uh, that that's what really solidified the fact that if i really want to get out into you know a beautiful spot and ride powder this is the place that you had to come in and find it we're super stoked that you're in canada dude like for so many reasons uh you look healthy you look happy you know uh, you're in a good spot and and you know over the years there's been times where it's we're scared a little for you know what's Jamie doing right now where is he How, is he is he safe you know and uh knowing that you're good like seeing your face seeing your smiling face today and talking with you over the last few days getting ready for this thing it's like you're the fucking best dude like you're the best you're the best ambassador we could have for this sport and and you're following in the footsteps of pretty heavy dude like with with craig but you know you know as well as i do that it's not always been a fucking uh smooth road you know i've definitely dealt with my own demons and and addictions and it's been you know there's a lot of years where i was fucking going down a shitty path and places like this allowed me to see a bigger picture to get outside of my head and to get outside of my own self to realize that maybe you didn't need a vice or a drug to take you someplace you just needed to put yourself in the fucking right environment to help with the distraction and space away from the stuff that was dragging you down you know and, and we just got a question about your art because we haven't talked about it at all. Ginger Army Northwest, could you talk about your first artwork that you were stoked on and the and the progress and the progression? Because I think it's tied in, right? Like when you're feeling shitty, would art help you kind of come out of that as well? You know, it, it was uh, a lot. I think just having the opportunity to do my snowboard graphics all these years has helped me develop as an artist what I am today. Thankful for that opportunity. And there are certain graphics throughout the years that stand out as something that was like evolutionary steps 
for my own creative growth. I lived behind a tattoo studio in San Francisco for a couple years, Everlasting Tattoo, and I was around a rich, artistically rich environment of tattoo artists that were able to spontaneously come out with amazing art for whatever client walked through the door, you know, and, and to see that, how they tapped into that and how they utilized it to like stoke people out, man, it really, it really made me see what was possible with that kind of artwork and graphic. And I translate tattoo into my graphic application because that's kind of, uh, that's kind of how I approach it. You know, I want it to be as aesthetically graphic and I want it to grab your attention as it's flying by going 100 miles per hour, you know, and, and I think tattoos do a really good job at that. And tattoo artists are really incredible at being able to capture that. But there were times in 96, 97 where I was hanging out with these guys, uh, Ian Morris, uh, Shannon Gabriel, you know, crap and knobhead two of the shop kids you know we shared an apartment but just being in that environment watching them paint all the time that's all i wanted to do you know it's fucking just paint paint and what came out of that was one of the the alien graphic whereas the two aliens and or the three aliens and their spaceship was the lips and the trees was their hair and if you look at it, it looked kind of like a self-portrait of somebody you know but that painting in particular I thought was a true evolution evolutionary like step for me artistically just directly related to the inspiration that I got from these guys that I was hanging out with rad and you're still painting now are you painting down by the by the lake at all you know uh I've been carving a little bit more than actually painting just because the driftwood and shit and uh and and the inability to get my hands on some good acrylic paint and a canvas right now has been kind of difficult. Not only just because uh, all the shops and stuff are closed in town and, and it's kind of appointment only or I'd have to like get it online and I don't really have a mailing address, you know, being hobo and such. <laughs> but I, I've been making do. I've, I've got a couple canvases that I've pulled out of a closet that I've had at the Pensieros and, and been working on those a little bit. Um, you know, no matter how much is shut down, we're still on track to get graphics going with LibTech, you know, and, and that's, you know, bent metal deadlines are up for the bent metal graphics. And then I'm working on some Dynamis and some Banana Blaster stuff for LibTech. So even though we're kind of in this, like everything's on pause and on hold, I'm still trying to keep at least, uh, you know, up on getting those graphics done and just so when things fire back up, they're ready to go, you know? Yeah. And, and, in, do, and in doing so, it gives me the opportunity to kind of like, man, what a pleasant distraction. Setting up a funky easel out of driftwood, hanging out on the beach and painting. I couldn't think of a better uh, a better place to do and it. And sewing. Yeah, your girl's saying and, and sewing capes, right? So that's dope. Hey, sewing too. <laughs> you can't count that out. Because where else yeah, are you going to get the fucking costumes? You can't, like, run down to the store to the costume store anymore. They, they don't sell capes at Walmart. <laughs> All right, how about this one? For Let's finish it up because my phone is actually uh, going to die. Uh, I would do this all day with you, Jamie. I love sure, talking man. to you. 
a listener just asked, and I'm paraphrasing here, basically what's your take on like quad corks and stuff like that? Like I know you did inverted spins pretty early in the game and you were a big influencer bringing in style and, and progression to freestyle snowboarding. How, how do you feel about what they're doing now? Uh, I love to see progress. I love to see evolution. I love to see people taking, like, I feel thankful that I was able to just be able to place a brick in the foundation of what the next generation is now building off of. It's the natural evolution of mankind and humanity. And to see kids taking what we had started humbly, doing simple things, but maybe doing it with whatever style we could add to it, but trying to take that same philosophy and just grow with it and evolve into one more cork, one more spin, 10 feet farther. It's that much more radical, you know? And, and I know a lot of people give it shit because it loses a lot of that soul and style and, and really feeling something. It's hard to feel something when you're so like, wow, it's all over the road. But I think it just goes to show the true ability of the kids these days to add that gymnastic sense of just being able to do these multiple rotations and flips. And when you come out of it, you fucking, you got it, you know? You got your head on straight. That's not easy, you know? And I don't, I don't hate on anything. I try not to discriminate, man. It's all fucking beautiful, and it's all something that we love to do. And there's so many different genres, and there's so many different, like, you know, so cool stuff that's gone in so many different directions. How could I take anything away from that, you know? Like, we've been fighting so hard to attain a certain level of, like, acceptance just in our sport and in snowboarding in general. I feel like we're now in this groundbreaking territory, a new frontier of acceptance that is beautiful. It's awesome. Yeah. Stoked to still be a part of it, man. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I saw Rad Quad Cork maybe this morning or yesterday in my Insta feed, and I was like, the guy didn't win the contest he was in, but he planted a perfect quad. It's about style, right? Like if you're doing a quad cork and you just barely your head skins the knuckle on the on the on the way in. No, it's it's really just about style. So somebody who can make a quad cork look insane, wow! Like holy shit. I think it's I think it's just one of those things. Like the progression is a dual path where there's some people who are technically getting the trick but it looks like shit and then there are some people that the trick exists now and they're they're taking it and they're putting their own style on it and 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 doing it in a way that makes you go wow that guy stomped that out and it looked good the whole way around that's that's pretty fucking epic you know to me it's like when you're in the middle of a quad cork there's not a whole lot of time and space to really add much style to it. So the style that I see is in the last split seconds of them coming around to spot their landing and how they stomp it on the bolts and then right away with their arms relaxed, you know, like, oh, that was nothing. It's not in the act of doing it, but it's in those last seconds of putting the landing gear down that I really see like, wow, that kid's got it, 
you know he's got yeah. that's fucking yeah. uh, he's not it's natural it's relaxed it's like fucking ain't no shit you know i just fought quad cork i got another one coming at you right now you know to me like that's fucking beautiful and it really doesn't matter what they're how crazy shit is but it's how they calm themselves down to the end and spot that landing and fucking stomp it on the bolts to me like that that's the difference between just people doing it and people doing it in a manner that I could really get down with. Jamie Lynn, thank you for being the guest of the second ever Effenrad podcast live Insta TV, whatever the hell this is. I I want to have you give your fans an opportunity to to purchase your artwork if if that's something you sell. I don't know if you do that, but um, or any sponsors you want to list off or anything any last words that you want to all the crew in auburn miss you love you my friends and family you know all the people out there that i wish were a little bit closer and they will be here shortly and really to say a true thanks eric it'd have to be a whole nother episode brother but i want to thank you first and foremost man for giving me the opportunity to share with you guys this has been awesome and like Big shout out to Mark Fawcett. Yeah. He's a great dude. And I love him. I love that guy. And Mike yeah. and Pete, you know, and, nice. and Emigart and all the Volcom crew and, and Nook and Kalen and all those guys, man. If you're listening, I love you. I miss you. Can't wait to get together and have some good times. And uh, thanks for all the people that, that uh, subscribed and tuned in. You know, hopefully uh, stick around. This is just a preview. You're the best, Jamie. Thanks a lot, man. Take care, Eric, man. Have yeah, a wonderful we'll day. And I'm, uh, I'm going to go try to uh, get some more laps out in that hot powder. Get on it, man. So jealous. All right, big love, Jamie. Thanks, man. Remember, uh, preach the good gospel of Black Sabbath from this point forward till the end of this day, Sunday, day of the Sabbath. You got it. Effin' Rad shoutouts this week to Jeff Pensiero from Baldface Lodge, the true snowboarding pilgrimage mecca. I will go there one day. I will. Justin Hostenek filmed Jamie's side of the conversation. I'm working with past guest TJ Schneider to get a YouTube channel up and running. More on that soon. I want to welcome to the snowboarding podcast realm the Bomb Hole podcast with pro snowboarder Chris Grenier and legendary snowboard photographer E-Stone. They're two episodes deep and they're both hammers. They've hit the ground running with killer content and I'm inspired by their amazing work and stoked that the genre of snowboard podcast is growing in the best way possible. I could listen to these two all day. Other great snowboarding podcasts include Jody Wachniak's Airtime Podcast, Matt Barr's Looking Sideways, Sean Kearns' Big B, the Snowboard Project with Mark Sullivan, Jeff Powell's The Powell Movement, and of course, the OG's The Not Snowboarding Podcast, which was Nate Muson's project from a few years back. All right, you guys, be sure to come back next week for the final episode of Season 5 of the Rad Snowboard Podcast presented by Vans and brought to you by SIA Productions. Oh, that was awesome.